You're listening to the Q's Podcast, episode number five. Hey there, welcome to the Q's Podcast. Glad to have you. This is a place where we'll talk to industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. I'm your host, James Lenz, Q's Professional Development Manager. I'm really excited about this episode because we'll explore how mixing unconventional strategies with a culture of high accountability can lead to a transformed and strengthened organization. My guest today is Doug Samuels. Doug Samuels has been the president and CEO of Space Coast Credit Union in Melbourne, Florida for the past 18 years. Doug Samuels was kind enough to sit down with me between his two sessions at the Q's 2016 Executive Summit. And with that, he was able to share his experiences of how he was able to overcome some very big obstacles within his credit union. As a listener, some of the key takeaways from the interview will include how accountability and member values are critical in driving strategy, why conversation within your credit union should align with your strategy, Doug Samuels lays out his very specific path he took to allow their principles to drive change. Let's join the conversation with Doug Samuels. All right, we have Doug Samuels here. Doug, thank you for being here today. I want to start the show off a little bit of inspiration, if you don't mind. Uh, we'd like to see if you have any success quote or a specific mantra you live by professionally. Yeah, I guess both as a leader and as a parent, I learned a long time ago that you need to be solid as a rock on matters of principle and go with the flow on matters of taste. And the dilemma or the trick is figuring out which is which. All right, Doug, tell us about your current position. Uh, I'm CEO of Space Coast Credit Union in Melbourne, Florida. And how many years have you been working with credit unions and all in your professional life? Um, Started in 87, so almost 30 years. Now, your background is, I would consider, uh, and many others, a very unique path to become CEO of the uh, credit union. And can you describe uh, why that is uh, so unique? Yes, I was pulled into credit unions because of problems in an IT area. So I was asked to actually undertake IT management, IT leadership, undertake the uh, technical aspects of that as well as as the leadership part. So I, I actually you know, was in IT. That's where I, that was my career in credit unions. So I know you, you've had a, a huge set of successes and turnaround, but you even have mentioned that your IT background has really influenced your level of success. Can you describe that in a little bit more detail? Sure. Uh, one of the things I learned in, in resolving IT issues was the need to, to make everybody accountable. I was invited into the credit union business to deal with non-accountable IT realm. Uh, it's what I call a black box. The IT people had built a black box that was essentially holding the credit union hostage. So my job was to basically break that down and deliver accountability back to the company so that IT worked for the credit union and not the other way around. What that has taught me is the need to have accountability at all levels. Everybody is accountable. And when we have accountability at all levels, we can have the proper communication and alignment, proper adjustments when we're not basically meeting goals or we're not, you know, doing what we said we were going to be doing. Now, we're at actually Execute Summit. It is in March of 2016. And this, you've already conducted one of two sets of sessions. Uh, we just finished the morning session here. And I would love to, to 
you know, talk about a little bit about this communication. You're here with uh, Dr. Michael Hudson, and, and you two are kind of working on the presentation together today. Very insightful. Uh, people are very interested in what you're saying, and, and they're excited for the next upcoming session. Can you describe more about uh, the communication? I know the, that either you or Michael Hudson reference communication that sometimes it's important to sort of uh, hinder communication in some areas, but make sure it uh, flourishes in other areas. Can you describe that a little bit? Well, what, you know, I think it, this has been an interesting session both to prepare for and to attend. We had a great session yesterday with Jim Bearden, and it was, you know, great content. What, what Dr. Hudson has been trying to do is actually take the, the instruction we usually get at these and, and kind of wrap the theory into a real life, almost a case study. So it's been an interesting creative process to see how he has developed this. What he's been wanting to do is give the attendees, you know, some provocative real live examples to the to the theory we get in, in these sessions. So that's been an interesting process as far as communicating, you know, the um, uh, communicating at all levels is important. There's all kinds of struggles in, in how to maintain productive communication channels that, that I think really go to the core of what Dr. Hudson is talking about, which is execution. You know, the strategy and the plan can be the best plan in the world, but it's not worth the papers written on if we fail to execute. At our credit union, we used to be really bad at execution, and so that, that was an opportunity for us. We've learned that, you know, you can't execute this if you're not talking about it at all levels. So that's where I would say communication and really the understanding of the strategy and how that applies to the actions people are undertaking every day is extremely important in accomplishing the strategy itself. And Dr. Hudson, he actually mentioned there's seven statements or strategies why why strategic execution fails. Why does strategic execution fail in, in your mindset? Part of it, I think, is the process. He, he went over those seven. I had not seen those, but I, as he was presenting those, I've I think I've experienced all of them. So, um, you know, we used to have very complicated planning processes. We had a facilitator. We would work with management for like four months at developing presentations, and and it became kind of a dog and pony show. And the thing was really heavy. I mean, the the planning document was really elaborate, and then it would get put on the shelf for the year. And so, you know, it wasn't really an active live thing. It was a, it was an event, if you will. Right. Um, we no longer do it that way. We have an unrehearsed, very, um, you know, bare knuckle, raw, candid, facilitated session with our board that, that I haven't rehearsed with my management. So, you know, it, when we do planning now, it becomes the basis for our, our monthly actions and it's been integrated to actually departmental department level goals, individual performer goals, all the way up. And I have accountability for that every month. So we don't just pull it off the shelf and, and look at it. We live it every day. And I think from a communication standpoint, you know, it's been said that conversation is really the, the raw input of a, of a company. That's the first that's really the first resource is what people are talking about is what they're going to be working on. So if they're not talking about your strategy, they're not working on it. It needs to be a living, breathing thing. That's correct. Yeah, it's not It's not something you just take a once a year, a couple times a year yeah. with your board. I understand that. You know, there's something I wanted to talk with you about when you became CEO. There's 
There's a lot of interesting things here. I guess one thing I want to touch on is wait times. People are coming to deposit their money, and you mentioned they're coming during their lunch hour to do so, and sometimes they had maybe up to 50 minutes of wait. So there's a lot of ways you could tackle that that could be successful and and some not so successful. Uh, You made it become successful in your attempts and your strategies and your execution of that. Can you talk or discuss a little bit about how, what strategies did you apply to turn things around? Okay, well, it started with, as I said earlier, you know, you start with principle versus preference, right, or taste. We felt the principle at play here was time. Time is a value that we needed to give back to the members, and it was absurd to make somebody wait that wanted to give you money or do business with you at at any time. They shouldn't be waiting at all. Our dilemma was we delivered you know, like classically uh, credit unions, we delivered the products through our member service reps in the branches. And we had about 15 branches back then in 1997. And when somebody was in the member service rep's office, the next member was waiting in a lobby chair. And the average wait time in a lobby chair was about 50 minutes, sometimes an hour. And we couldn't figure out how to solve that. You couldn't staff for peak because as soon as you got the new member service rep, Somebody was in their office. The very next member was now waiting in the chair again. The other problem we had was this uh, inconsistency we saw from member service rep to member service rep and branch to branch. And and also really didn't understand how we could grow efficiently. We, we felt when I took over in 97, we had all kinds of problems, uh, you know, which we could talk about at, at great length. But one of them was we weren't very efficient in it. We had to figure out how to scale production in the credit union so that every time I opened a branch, I didn't replicate those expenses. Right, and that's, right. that was our model. So, And we felt efficiency was really where revenues were going to come from in the future. We had to be really efficient. In other words, I have to produce certain outcomes, but I want to spend less of the members' money to do it. Absolutely. So what we decided was we're going to rip the sales completely out of the branches, and we stopped doing it in the branches. So. When a member walks into a branch, they're directed to a phone that's hardwired to a commission calls center. And we, again, principles, right? Principles are driving this. One of the problems we had from an efficiency and a member service standpoint is the member service reps were not hungry enough. So we we implemented what we call the hunger principle. Our people had to be hungry. Right. Uh, the The only person nervously eyeing their watch was the member. Nobody else was in a hurry. That's not the way you want um, it to be. So, you, But that's, that's generally what do. we see. They, yeah. they were high-tenured people. Yeah. Uh, the member service reps mm-hmm. had been here a long time. They were very comfortable in their salaries, and they thought that they were serving their members, you know, And but it just wasn't going to be good enough. So we basically said, okay, we're not doing this anymore in the branches. So no sales are done in the branches. Uh, it's all done through uh, what we call express service associates. So we created a call center called... Express, and that's a commission sales center. And we cut their salaries to minimum wage to make them hungry. So they were, back then they were making, they'd been there a long time, high 30s, low 40s, because they were high tenured people. We cut them down to 15000 a year and put them on commission for everything they sold. And what and we saw was, first we saw them all leave because uh, they were the wrong people. We retooled with people that, were very comfortable with selling. And and then the second thing we saw was that they became in a hurry to serve the member. So the average wait time, now think about this, the average wait time for the member 
was 50 minutes, and, and then it became two seconds. Oh, my. And we amazing. had these people elbowing each other out of the way to get to the next call because that's how they made their living. That is instilling hunger. And that's, that's how we, strategy. yeah. Wow. And so and so now, you know, those salaries have not changed. So we implemented that salary in 1997. That remains the same. The average salaries in there are now over a hundred thousand a year, and wow. some of them are breaking two hundred thousand a year. But but the service impact was radical, wow. and that's it wasn't incremental. It was radical. It went down from. This mentality of I'll get to the sale if it's convenient to I live and die by the sale. And by the way, that sale is serving the member. These people are masters at quickly assessing a need. So they're not order takers like we used to do in the branch. Right, right. You come in for a kid's checking account now, and you used to walk out with a kid's checking account. You walk into a, for a kid's checking account now, they're going to wrap you up with a refinance of your car loan. Is that right? Uh, first mortgage, uh, credit cards. Wow. Uh, because uh, they they get paid for everything they right. do, and the right. member is benefited by that cross sell. So oh, absolutely. So that hunger principle prevailed. It's a win win um, situation for both the member and your organization. Well, now, but if you think about it, the members were not happy because for fifty years you were sitting across the desk from the member service rep. You know, I want to talk yeah. to Sally. I came in here to talk to Sally. Where's Sally? And we said, well, you're not going to see Sally. She, you know, Sally's yeah. on the phone now. And we have people storm out. They don't want to do business that way. We had to get very comfortable saying no. In other words, we had a decision. Are we going to be comfortable doing it well one way right. but not trying to do it both ways and appease those people that wouldn't accept right. that new change? And to this day, we have people storm out angry because the member service rep is not there, – there's not a – face-to-face conversation. There is a person-to-person conversation, but it's not face-to-face. And we had to get comfortable saying, this is how we do it. If you don't like it, just you'll have to go somewhere else. You cannot please everybody. That's correct. All the time. But that was a very uncomfortable culture change for both the board, our employees, and our members. How was the board in terms of you know, being receptive to that, that, that is such a drastic change. Wow. Well, I attribute the board for their courage in allowing us to do this because, you know, some of it splashed back onto them. Boards don't like to be confronted by people. I don't want them to be confronted right. by people. But we, we were convinced that this was the right way to solve this problem. And once we believed that, and that was the principle at play, was the member's time. We couldn't figure out a better way to solve that time principle problem. Once we we believed that, then we stuck to our guns, and as uncomfortable as it got, we we believed in what we were doing. So, and, and again, I have to tribute the board for their courage in allowing us to do it and, and taking the, you know, taking the the bullets right, from the, right. the people that just didn't like it and you know would confront the board about it. That had to be an interesting time to take a yeah. a big step like that because you don't want to say no. But, you know, sometimes you have to say no yeah. and in order to uh, to reach the, the goals that you're uh, trying to achieve. Well, that's what we found, though. Strategically, in our in our strategic adventures and in, in, in our experience, one of the most important things we found in strategy is what we're not going to do. And we've gotten really comfortable wow. deciding what we're not going to do. We just don't do most things. Yeah. We only want to do a couple things well and don't worry about anything else. That is such a mind shift, I bet, for a lot of organizations. Get comfortable in what you're not going to do. Get comfortable in saying no. 
This all leads, though, I mean, this is connected to uh, measurement. You've got measurement of, the, you know, initially when you did this, the effect, we are going to lose some because they want that face-to-face -face contact for the betterment of the organization and, and ultimately for members. You went to the route you did, so you can measure that. You can also measure in terms of your employees and member relations, the success, you cross-selling. So um, you can see the impact that it has. Uh, boy, there's so much to talk to here, but... Uh, I mean, what do you look at for measurement? Well, like you said, it's pretty easy in our realm because they get paid for what they do, right? That's pretty easy to, if they don't make the sale, they starve. That, that's where the hunger right. principle comes right. in. So that's pretty much self-policing. We also survey member their satisfaction about the experiences. Yeah. And, and actually, we those are engineered into people's goals as well, um, how the member feels about it. The members were reluctant walking into the process. They have to be happy walking out. So even though it was not what they expected, right. and, and this is what we also found, time is a value that members had not even identified as one that they, that they put value in. But we know that's how they live. Most of our member households are working households with both adults working. They're starved for time. But they had never identified that on a, here's what I want. I want you to save me time. Right. They didn't think about that. Yeah, that's right. But that was, I mean, you supplied that for them. We supplied that, but we didn't wait for them to tell us. Right. They didn't even know about it. We, we decided that was where we could differentiate. That's where we really needed to provide them some values, giving them their time back. I we, think, we are taking it from them. Right. Now we need, and, and look, at we are not a destination for anything. The members want a car. They don't want a loan. Right. And and so we're, anything they do with us is in, is is in the way of really what they want. Right, right. Because I don't sell cars, right. uh, so we had to reduce the friction and and reduce the time because they really don't want a loan. They don't want any of this. They want their stuff. Right. And so what we've tried to do is is build processes and and deliver and facilitate their ability to get their stuff. And that that's how these are designed. Boy, that is some real. I think that's really compelling information. Wow. All right. Um, That'll make for an interesting conversation this afternoon. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's what I, that's what they peaked. Yeah. Uh, so what you just shared with me, that's something that you're going to reveal later on. Yes. Uh, you kind of had to tease at the end. I, I was real curious. So I didn't know that. That is the origin of the thought to, to make these just drastic changes in, in member services. What, what was your, how did you come to, to come to that? I mean, I understand how you're the need for that because you need to make some drastic changes. But to go to that um, avenue, what uh, stimulated the, the move to do that? It was an urgency to do the loans faster. Um, sales is everything now. It's deposit products and loans. But my concern is I had people trying to borrow, and it was taking too long to deliver that to them. It's taking too long to make the decision. We had an application process. They had a clipboard you would sign in the lobby, like a doctor's office. It was just ridiculous. Right, right. And and I felt an urgency to solve that. We had to do, because I thought about, look, how long would it take me to decide whether I'm going to say yes or no to a loan? It takes less than a minute to do that. Right. The problem is, how do I get the inputs to make that decision? Right. And we just couldn't figure out how to do it in the branch. So it was really driven by this this need to make a loan decision almost instantaneously. And in 97, we didn't have the technology to do it. So we cobbled a bunch of systems together, repurposed a couple things, created some different workflows. 
And but again, the hunger principle is a driver. When right. people are hungry, they figure out a way because you know, there's a lot of post-it notes, a lot of index cards, a lot of writing on paper. That's how they manage their their lead, um, and, and that's how these people make a living. You need to be efficient. Those are inefficient processes. Yeah. You said there are different consistencies in, in the branches yeah. uh, and within different staff. Yeah. Uh, so you needed a, a means to just, you know do all those things in, in a much more productive manner. Yeah, uh, now, the other thing it did was, you remember, we had this efficiency problem, right? We now run 60 branches. I could not run that many branches well, had I continued that heavy model in in that structure at each branch. So what we call it the agile spider model. Essentially, we have the heavy body of the spider, yeah. and then we've ripped as much processing, as much expertise out of the branch so that the legs are light and I can support many, many legs. So that's been one of the dilemmas we've had, though, is you tend to pile on inefficient processes in the body. It's what we call the right, heavy spider, right. where either you start pushing processes right. back out to the branches and they're going to be inconsistent. you got to do all this cross-training, all that right. stuff again. And then you start piling on inefficient stuff back office that's detached from this urgency right. And you end up with this body of the spider, you know, just kind of sinking the whole thing or the legs become heavy again. Right. So that efficiency was also one of the drivers in, in taking this out of the branches. So I don't have to do the cross training. I don't have to do the, the sales management 60 different times. I do it once. So the, uh, if you have the inconsistent body and yeah. you get these branches and you're replicating the inconsistencies, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just must have been yeah. a headache. Yeah. You need to, I mean, it was going to kill us. That really. was, that was, you had a need, you didn't have a choice. And, uh, so th when did you initiate that, that process? What year was that? 1997. Tell me about to this day. That's very similar to what you're doing now. Yeah. Right. Okay. Your technology abilities are different now than when they were the, the ability to reach the customer, to engage the customer, provide products in an efficient manner uh, can be done differently now with the technologies. Yeah. We've always been, because we're space worker chartered, we've always been kind of driven to provide technology-based convenience. So that's been something we've been pretty good at. What we've struggled with is the ability to close a sale, to advise because a cross-sale, is it's not about a pitch. It's about a needs assessment. And it's hard to do that online. Right, right. Um, because the person that fills out an application by themselves at 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> isn't getting any advice. Right. So we, we have all the online stuff goes into that express unit. And we have the commission salespeople actually pick that up and, and run with it. Technologically speaking, we still haven't figured out how to close a sale, how to give that advice, how to really do additional needs assessment without a conversation. So one of the challenges we have ahead is how to continue to run that high-performance needs assessment engine into the, the cell phone is, right. is really where the platform is going to be. We haven't, we haven't figured that out yet, but, you know, that's, a, that's, what that's something that right scares now. us. Well, right. yeah, because oh, sure. that's where the members are going. Right, absolutely. So those are... Uh, always challenges out there, but you yeah. certainly tackled a um, big monster uh, with your situation that you walked into. So congratulations on that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Q's. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes to receive the newest episodes as soon as they are available. For more talent development content from Q's, visit cues.org now. If you are a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. 
Visit Qs.org slash membership to learn more. Qs is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Qs can help you realize your potential, visit Qs.org today.